Hi, I'm Carmen LaBurge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBurge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles. Arms now wide. If we're gonna fear, we fear no evil. We will rise. By your power, we will go. By your spirit, we are bold. If we're gonna stand, we stand as giants. If we're gonna walk, we walk as lions. Well, good morning on this 13th of July, 2022. Do you see what I see? Do you see what I see? I'm thinking about the heavenly visions of Ezekiel. I'm thinking about the heavenly visions of Paul and John in the book of Revelation. Do you see what I see? Do you see the day when your Redeemer will walk again upon the earth? Do you see what I see? Have you seen the first full-color images of space taken by the James Webb Telescope. You're going to hear it. Um, you're going to hear it described as the farthest humans have ever seen. <laughs> Do you see what I see? Do you see the visions of heaven itself articulated by those um, to whom God gave vision in the Old and New Testaments of the Bible? Do you see what I see? NASA says that the images that you um, and I are looking at, these amazing full-color images of space, they, quote, cover a patch of sky roughly the size of a grain of sand held at arm's length, showing light from thousands of galaxies. Do you see what I see? The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky Above proclaims his handiwork, Psalm 19.1. Do you see what I see? The Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouths of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? the son of man, that you care for him. Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You've put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and the beasts of the field and the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. Oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. That's Psalm 8. Do you see what I see? Take some time today to survey the passages of Scripture that talk about the expanse of the creation of God, the heavens and the stars, and all that shines across all the galaxies of the universe that God has made and over which he is sovereign. He has set each one in place. Oh, oh, my brother and sister, do you see what I see? Where in the word are you today? I'm in Psalm 8 and Psalm 19. And oh, spend a little fearful time, prayerful time in Amos chapter 5. The heavens declare the glory of God. Do we? 
Let's help other people see what we see. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBurge, and this is Faith Radio. Zeiger joins us again today. She's a freelance science writer out of Dallas, a research analyst with the Center for Bioethics and Human Dignity. You can find her at heatherzeiger.com. Heather, welcome back. Hi, Carmen. Good to be back. All right. What are all of the, you know, science junkies saying about these pretty pictures? Yeah. So uh, if you have, if your listeners have not had a chance to look up the James Webb Space Telescope images, they are uh, remarkable. Um, the first images, the first image was put out a day early on July 11th. And if you look at it, it's an image that looks like a bunch of blots of light. And it turns out each of those blots of light is a galaxy. So, uh, like scientists how is saying, that possible? Okay. So, so, you know, <laughs> let's remember that, uh, science is something that maybe I only paid attention to in seventh grade with Mr. Setacassi. And that was a long time ago. Remind me, what is a galaxy? <laughs> right. So um, a galaxy is kind of this grouping of stars and planets. And we live in the Milky Way galaxy. Actually, we live in a very little spot in between a couple of spiral arms in the Milky Way galaxy. Um, I don't live, I live in the city, so I don't see the Milky Way. But if you go out in the country, you can see uh, the band of stars across the sky on a clear night. And that's, uh, you're looking at a small portion of the Milky Way. Okay, so you look at this image and think about it as seeing, I don't know, hundreds of thousands, a million Milky Ways. So these are, these are huge clusters uh, of, of stars and planets and uh, just different types of galaxies, whether spiral galaxies or these other types of galaxies. So it's really phenomenal. Okay. So uh, it's totally phenomenal. Some of the things yeah. that come up in this conversation are um, uh, hundreds of millions of years or the Big Bang or, um, you know, the the God uh, it, what happened before there was everything that is? How do we, as people of faith, like, politely engage in in the conversation when the language that's being used, you know, 13.5 billion years ago is one thing a NASA administrator referred to. Um, how do how do you engage with that? Do you just like let that go? Do you say anything about it? Like. I, I'm not going to try to have the young earth, old earth debate here, but how do you engage with the timeline? So normally I just, I take as is in the sense of they're saying, oh, this looks like it. We're looking at light from billions of years ago. And so I keep in mind that that timing is from our perspective as far mm. as how these scientists study time. <clears throat> so I, you know, because we do, uh, 
with um, science, we do believe in the idea of relativity, right? So that's kind of Einstein's idea of relativity and space-time. So I always keep in mind that it's like from our perspective, and remember, we're living within the thing that we're studying, right? So that's that you have to keep that in mind. We don't have this objective bird's eye view. We're living within the actual objects that we're studying. So from our pers from the scientist's perspective, from that perspective here, it looks like it is however many billions of years old. And I take that as okay. So that tells me something about the distance that tells me something about what they're studying. Um, but do we have to take numbers as hard and fast, especially when we're talking about, you know, a universe that's, um, you know, almost 14 billion years old. I mean, you can say, well, with space and time and the Big Bang, and what does it mean for a universe that's like a few seconds after the Big Bang and all of that? Uh, I mean, I leave that to the, some of the theoretical physicists. I know some physicists and cosmologists who are Christians who uh, can talk about this and reconcile it. Um, I take it as let's talk descriptively. Let's talk about, okay, at least from our perspective, what do we see? Mm. That's, that is helpful. That is helpful. A reminder that we are um, experiencing all of this from a particular perspective, a particular point in time. Um, and it is exciting. It's very exciting to hear, I mean, people who are absolutely of a scientific worldview say things like it was a spiritual experience to see these pictures. Um I do think that these pictures give us an opportunity to talk about um, and wonder, like genuinely like little kids, wonder about the God who is there and just how big the universe is and all of the possibilities therein. So it is it is really fun. I want to um, I want to talk with you next, Heather, um, about this mystery rocket that has crashed on the moon. That's up next. You're on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, Thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. All right, we're continuing our conversation with uh, Heather Zeiger. Heather, um, something crashed on the moon. No one is taking responsibility. This is just like somebody having a wreck. Um, they, they drive over the fence line of your field and they leave and they don't claim responsibility and you're left with like a debris field. So um, how do we know that something crashed into the moon? What's unique about the crash pattern? Um, and why is it kind of intriguing that no space exploring country has taken responsibility for the crash? Yeah, this is a this is dun, kind of dun, a funny. Uh -huh. <laughs> this is a funny story because, um, yeah. So, uh, some scientists at NASA saw that there was uh, something on a collision course with the moon. They they had they had seen this before it collided with the moon. Um, 
something hit the moon and it created this weird little double crater. So usually when something hits the moon, it, it's a single crater, but this was a double crater, which means it kind of had, I guess, two large masses I, in my head when I read or it, it, I think bounced. it's kind of a dumbbell shape. Yeah, exactly. Oh, it either bounced mm -hmm, or it had mm -hmm. a dumbbell shape. Mm -hmm, no one's mm -hmm. really sure. No one's taking, no one's taking responsibility of it. When scientists back calculate based on the trajectory and everything, they are thinking it could have been from a 2015 SpaceX launch, or it could have been from a 2014 um, rocket launch from China. Both of them are saying, nope, wasn't me. And uh, I'm not sure if they're just, if they're saying no, because no one wants to, wants to have, have to the, go to the, the moon and clean up <laughs> in the mess they made. Well, this would be probably the first completely inadvertent lunar impact in history. So I don't know if someone mm. wants that, wants that title. So um, at least 47 NASA rocket bodies have created spacecraft impacts on the moon. Okay, I have to admit to you, that sounds like a lot. Like we have apparently smashed into the moon 47 times just from stuff we've sent up here from the United States. Um, and... Um, but some of those those were like intentional landings and other times it looks right. like, uh, yeah, some of those were not as intentional. Um, it, it's a bit of a wild frontier out there. Maybe that is one thing to observe about all of this. Obviously, it it provokes other people to ask other questions. If no um, terrestrial Earth based space exploration country or company is taking responsibility, is it possible someone else ran into the moon um and you know which gets us back to other conversations that we have had recently about life elsewhere in that big universe that we now have pictures of which i did have a person say i wonder what the picture looks like from someone else's telescope looking back and the milky way is one of those tiny little dots among millions of dots that they are now seeing from you know their side of things i'm like well see that's a whole nother conversation talk with us about um uh, a conversation related to Higgs boson. It's called the God particle, and it's back in the news because um, the particle accelerator is being turned back on. Yes. So this was uh, this is exciting in the physics world. So we've gone from the very big, looking at the uh, far reaches of the universe, to the very very small, um, where the Large Hadron Collider has recently been booted back up and turned back on. So the collider was active from about 2008 to 20, oh, I'm sorry, 2010 to 2018. It was collecting data. And during that time, they discovered something called the Higgs boson, which the media calls it the God particle. Apparently, just having talked to physicists, they don't like calling it that. Um, mm. Not because of any religious reasons, but because, um, but because uh, they don't really understand. It, it's, it's a, one of several subatomic particles that kind of rounds out the standard model of physics. So uh, to physicists, they're kind of like, why would you call it the God particle? But uh, anyway, it was a huge discovery and a couple of people won a Nobel prize on, about, uh, for that discovery. I think the Higgs boson was discovered sometime in like 2010, it's um, on January, uh, July 4th, 2010, 2012. And so now they're announcing 10 years later they're restarting the Large Hadron Collider. It was offline for about three years for upgrades and for uh, repairs. 
So they're pretty excited about, uh, about what they can study now. It's also amazing what we can build and what we can bury and what we can do yes. underground. Because this thing yes. is pretty extraordinary. It's something like 17 miles long and it's underground uh, yes. uh, on the border of Switzerland. Like, yes, it's that, like that the size in of a itself small city. is pretty amazing. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. Yeah, yeah, it's There's like a... the size of a small city, and it's actually a huge superconducting magnet is basically what it is. Mm. So, yeah. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah, I mean, there's just cool stuff going on. What is the coolest thing going on in science that you're thinking about these days? Oh, gosh. Well, I am loving these images uh, from the Webb telescope. So that's probably the coolest thing that I've been looking at in the science world right now. Um I'm a visual person, so I think those are cool. So cool, um, right? Yeah. I yeah. like the one that looks like a series of mountains. And it's apparently like a star that's either just now forming or one that's dying. I can't remember which one it is, which direction right. it's so going. They have two. Um, they have two images of nebula. So there's a nebula of a dying star and a nebula of a young star. So when I was a kid, I really loved these pictures of nebula. So the famous one is the Horsehead Nebula. It looks like these. It's a cloud of dust, but it, it always makes these remarkable images. So there's nebula where stars are formed. Basically, stars, young stars, are absorbing, eating up all of that dust and debris. And so you see a picture of that. And then there's the nebula of a dying star. So when a star dies and its supernovas it collapses, it spews some of these dusts and particle and debris that creates a nebula. So uh, they always make these wonderful pictures because of the way the particles kind of bounce off of um, the telescope is an infrared type telescope. So the way that bounces off and creates these images is really neat. Um, kind of takes, takes me back to geeking out as a kid over over some of these things. Yeah, I feel like the um the the market for really good telescopes, like right? I'm like my 7-year-old granddaughter is already like, "Doesn't grandpa have a telescope?" and I'm like, "Right. Yes, he does." And I'm of course thinking to myself, "How good is our telescope?" because she's not going to see <laughs> she's not going to see what we see when we look at these pictures of this amazing um web telescope that's out there. Uh, so it is really, it's fun. It's, it is fun to, um, you know, to lay on your back and look at the clouds and it's fun to look up at the stars and maybe we could just encourage people to get out somewhere in the next, uh, day or week or in the coming weeks, like plan a trip to somewhere where you can see the stars. Um, so if you're in an urban center, you know, plan to find a way to get out there into the country. And if you live in the country, don't take for granted just how beautiful um, the night sky is. Um, yeah, it's just really extraordinary. We love talking with you, Heather. Thank you um, so much for joining us again. You guys can find Heather at heatherzeiger.com. You can also read what she's writing for the Center for Bioethics and Human Dignity. She's a good follow on Twitter at hzeiger. If you want to connect with her there, um, you can read what she's thinking about the pro-life conversations going on today. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and this is Faith Radio. You guys are on fire today on the text line, so thank you so much. You guys can text me anything 
During uh, during the show, I am watching the text line at 877-933-2484. Evan, good morning out there. Uh, Yes, NASA officials said it was a spiritual experience to see the pictures. Amen. You guys are sharing where you are in the Word. I love that. You're asking really provocative questions. Why are some of the problems, why are, why are the problems so easy to see in the culture, but the solutions so difficult to grasp? Yes, indeed, indeed. Lots of conversations here about um, encouraging people to be reading um, C.S. Lewis's The Space Trilogy, um, or C.S. Lewis's Space Tril- Trilogy. Lots of uh, encouragement for Out of the Silent Planet. Um, so there you go. Good good summer reading. Um, Tim says, thank you for asserting uh, let me scroll back here. Uh, God's magnificence. We've heard that there are trillions of galaxies and billions of stars in each one. We need to celebrate our creator and fully appreciate all of his gifts and provisions. Others uh, have said similar things that, you know, every good and perfect gift comes from the father of lights above. Um, we need to remind ourselves of that uh, as well. So, yes, thank you um, so very much, each and every one of you. I'm lifting up prayers today for parents. I'm going to encourage you to um, be praying today for parents. Life transitions at every age and stage of parenting. So I'm praying today for couples who very much want to have a baby and God has not yet given them a baby. I'm uh, turn to Hannah's prayer in First Samuel as part of that conversation and her lament before the Lord and the way she felt in relationship to um, others who had children. Um, and then ultimately, you know, the gift God gives her, not only of Samuel, but um, but five children after that as well. Children are a gift. Um, and so in all of these conversations in the culture about abortion, let us not lose sight of uh, the gift that children are from the Lord and that they're his and that they're entrusted to us. These are God's little people, um, not ours, not ours. Um, and then let's also, you know, be praying for parents today who are faced with very real challenges of feeding, educated, uh, educating, growing children into uh, the godly disciples he calls them to be. Um, let's be praying for and then actively engaging with parents of small children and, yes, parents of uh, of older kids as well. The reality of letting them become who they will become, the full freedom of their own will. That's a hard stage of parenting. And then the empty nest and sometimes the boomerang um, succeeding generation uh, to generation. Parenting is uh, is hard and it's a challenge. We're going to talk with Jim Burns from Homeward next. He's got a new book, Finding Joy in the Empty Nest. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge and this is Faith Radio. You got something to say. Is your nest empty? Are you excited about that? Are you terrified of the prospect of an empty nest? What are your expectations? What is reality? Jim Burns is here from Homeward. You can find Jim and lots of resources at Homeward. That's Homeward, W-O-R-D, Homeward.com. His brand new book, Finding Joy in the Empty Nest. Jim, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Carmen, great to be with you. I'm really excited to get some time with you. 
Yeah, no, it's great to have you. I um, was reflecting on we are uh, we are one of those families that our nest is not yet empty, and yet the little birds are already uh, flocking to our house because we have grandbabies, and so um, I don't know that they are hobbies so much as I do find myself coloring, painting, um, building bird feeders, uh, picking flowers, taking walks, laying in the yard, looking at the sky. Things that I um, maybe had not planned to be doing at this age and stage of life. But sometimes the empty nest thing um, sort of takes on a life of its own. Talk about the simplicity and finding joy in the empty nest. Well, a lot of people don't find joy in the empty nest. You use the word terrified. And there are people, as we started talking to people around the country about just entering the empty nest. And they said, you know, what am I going to do now with my life? I've dedicated at least two decades of my life with my kids, pretty much in control. And now it's empty. And I'm not even sure I like this woman or this man, you know, sitting next to me um, because they buried some issues, even with their marriage. What we found was it was kind of parallel track. Some people saying, can't wait, this is going to be amazing. And then other ones saying, yikes, what are we going to do? And uh, it was real fascinating. Plus they were having to deal in the empty nest. They're probably dealing with they're uh, maybe possibly grandkids, of course, but they're also dealing with maybe their own parents getting older, um, transitions. It could even be retirement. So there was just so much stuff going on that we we found that the empty nest wasn't uh, as joy-filled. And so I started putting energy into how can people find joy in the empty nest and what does it take? And uh, had just written a book called Doing Life with Your Adult Children, where Parents were saying, wait, our kids are, are straying from values. They're, um, they're you know, jumping off the track when it comes to their faith and, and belief. And, you know, parents were having trouble at Christmas and Thanksgiving because they were <laughs> uh, having hard conversations with their kids who, who believe differently on a lot of issues that they were grown up, growing up with uh, with their parents. And then they, they changed. So I put a lot of energy into this. And I'm really excited about the fact that I found a lot of people who are finding joy in the empty nest. And you know, what are they doing to do that? And thus a, a very simplistic, uh, but not easy book on how to find joy in the empty nest. Yeah, I love that. So talk with us a little bit about empty nest syndrome. Yeah, empty nest syndrome is is actually a, a, a true syndrome. It's not, you know, in the psychological, you know, annals. But what it is, is empty nest syndrome is an experience of feeling depressed or anxious or sadness when the kids leave home. And, you know, what was interesting, people do it so differently. Kathy, my wife, who we've been married 48 years, Kathy, she, she was like, what am I going to do now? And she had put, she's, she was the son and the kids. And I think myself kind of were the uh, planets revolving around uh, the sun. (laughs) And uh, so she lost everything. I kind of just went to work. So I had the emptiness syndrome, but I just worked harder. And I Mm. went into my office earlier and, and whatnot. Finally, we woke up one day and said, you know, this is not you know, going as well. And so we created something that not the word, I didn't create the emptiness syndrome, but I created a quiz to take the emptiness syndrome. And I started having people take the simple quiz, um, you know, the emptiness syndrome quiz. And people found that a lot of them didn't even know they were in this, what we call syndrome where, you know, there was this sadness and angst and what am I going to do with the rest of my life? And the fascinating thing is people enter the empty nest and people can Google this on me and, and check me, but it's 48 years old, 0.9. And uh, that surprised me because we didn't enter the empty nest then because we kept having boomerangers come back and you know things changing. But 
you know, people are young. They're going to spend more time sometimes in an empty nest than they did with their kids. And, uh, and they have angst with it. A lot of people had angst, not everybody, but, but most of the people that I knew had some type of angst. That, that issue that we enter the empty nest at different um, stages of our own life, different ages, um, yeah. and sometimes, um, or increasingly in the culture, entering into that with a complex family network, um, right. not necessarily the mom and the dad of the children who grew up in the home. Um, the nest is a, a more complicated place maybe than it used to be. Um, I think all of that and all of those relationships and then navigating who goes where um, for for what holiday. I mean, just it it's more complex than it used to be. And I do think that the sandwich generation part of what you're talking about, that particularly um, for those of us who have parents who are aging, um, and we recognize our the delight that we have in spending time with them, but also the the burden of responsibility that that is ahead related to that. Like, right, all of that is a part of this stage of life. You talk about, um, I think, the same things that we talk about when we're talking about uh, children and and young adults, identity, belonging, and purpose. You might not frame it that way, but losing the sense of who who we are or rediscovering who we are is a huge part of this and then finding the network that we're going to be a part of talk a little bit about friendships, the importance of emptiness friendships and how to develop them. Well, uh, people have to lean into it. And so for some it's easy, but for some it's not. And so a lot of people, once they entered the empty nest, they had to take uh, a look at their life and say, wow, we have been putting all of our energy into our kids and not too much energy into friends or the friends became were the, you know, hockey uh, parents of the kids or the dance recital, you know, parents or whatever. And so what we found was that the people who did the best were people who jumped into uh, initiating friendships that they didn't have. it. I call it replenishing relationships. And over and over again, people said something like this line. I didn't know my best friends would be uh, found after 50. And some of them were friends from the past, but they reignited those relationships. And so, again, talking with people, they kept telling me, no, it's, 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 this is amazing because we have friends. For example, I just got back from Montana. I've been in a, in a small group, a support group Bible study with, with five men. We've been together for 21 years, and we were fishing. Now, I'm not the fishing pro here, but you know what? I love hanging out with these men. And I was telling my wife last night, I learned so much. They are my replenishing relationships. I'm a better husband, a better fa- father, a better Christ follower because of these other four men. And, you know, yet we fished and we cut up and we laughed and, you know, we mocked each other and, you know, all kinds of things that can happen more effectively in the empty nest. If people aren't just, you know, closing down, uh, turning on the television each night and, and getting in the room, a lot of people join uh, church groups that they hadn't been joining. You know, a lot of church do have things for empty nesters. I'm amazed at how many empty nest groups are around the country and people who are involved in those kind of things. A lot of times, um, that helps them greatly. So and, and sometimes it's even family, Carmen. It's, you know, they weren't hanging as much with their sister and both their, them and their sister now are, are empty nesters. So they start spending more time with, with you know, a, a, a relative and it becomes a really special deal. So I love that. Yeah, I love that too. We're talking with Jim Burns. You can find Jim and lots of resources at Homeward, W-O-R-D, Homeward, Dot com. We're talking about uh, his new book, Finding Joy in the Empty Nest. And the, yes, for those of you wondering, we do have copies to give away. You can text the word book to 877-933-2484 to enter 
the drawing. Again, text the word book to 877-933-2484. More with Jim Burns in just a moment. We're going to talk about changing the relationship that you once had with your children and doing so for the better. This is a bit of a bridge conversation between uh, two recent books that Jim has written. So uh, are your kids of now the age or you are now of the age where your parents are the ones with the empty nest? What does it look like to cultivate a new kind of relationship with one another? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show featured on the Faith Radio Network. There is a lot going on at Faith Radio, tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share at MyFaithRadio.com. My guess is you spend a fair amount of time on social media. So where do you spend your time? Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube? Well, have you followed or liked Faith Radio on those platforms? I would invite you to do so. I'm there as well. If you want to check out uh, my personal pages, you could connect with me individually. We would love to have you uh, use the resources that we have produced and are creating and posting on social media for you to share with others. We got all kinds of stuff from graphics to, you know, Bible verses. I don't know. There's all kinds of stuff. Go check it out on your social media. Connect with us on Faith Radio social media. And, you know, let's get the word out to others. All right. Back to the show. Again, thanks for listening. Love connecting with you at MyFaithRadio.com. Long ago and far away, I dreamed of- So Jim Burns in his new book, Finding Joy in the Empty Nest, Discovering Purpose and Passion in the Next Phase of Life, um, Jim shares with us a number of principles that we can um, live into uh, as we embrace this empty nest journey. Um, part of it is when your child leaves home and their life fills up with fresh experiences that that you would follow their lead. Um, I think that falls into the like become a student of your children category. Um, and then the second principle that Jim unpacks is reinventing the relationship with adult children. Always keep responsible adulthood in mind as the goal. And remember, experience is a better teacher than your advice. Jim, I'd like I'd love to um, swim around a little bit in this because there is this changing relationship that um, that we have. You know, we once had one kind of relationship with our children um, that grows through the teen years into a different kind of relationship. And then when they are adults, that relationship of necessity changes again. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. One of the hardest things to do is to hand them the passport to adulthood, especially when they're saying they're 18, they're going off to college and they uh, they aren't acting totally like adults. But, you know, it is time for us to to change the relationship. They've never been an adult, Carmen, and, and we've never been parents of adults. So it's hard for us to understand. Like I've got scars. We're on radio, but you should see the scars on my tongue because one of the principles is unsolicited advice <laughs> is usually taken as criticism. And that shocked me because I go, wait, this is what I do for a living. I give people advice. Um, I've given my kids advice, you know, because they were in the home. They didn't take it as well, teen years, but, you know, still. And then they get to become adults. And I find that I, I found that, you know, sometimes it's offensive to them for me to give them advice without asking permission. And that was a good lesson for me to learn. But it's part of that process of helping them become adults. And, and you know, you mentioned it experience is a better teacher than advice. And sometimes even as adults, they just have to experience just like the two-year-old who, you know, fell off the trike. Um, They were going to get up. They're going to learn how to do it better. And those are interesting times for parents of adults, parents who are in the empty nest saying, you know, what in the world? Um, They're not doing it the way I'm doing it. And I'm giving them simple suggestions. And most of the time we're right, 
but they don't take it like that. So again, we've got to give them the passport to a, to adulthood. I think that that is, um, that's harder for some people than others. Um, and I don't really know why that is. Maybe you do. Um, I, I love uh, the stage when they become adults and then we can become friends and we can, cause it's different. It's very, very different. Um, you know, than than the responsibility of the formative years. Um, so I love that. Um, and then I, I love um, sort of watching who they become. And, and I don't, uh, it's a mystery to me, like how that all happens and how people find their thing. One of the things you talk about in this book is that I need to find my new thing um, in, in the empty nest stage of life. Um, and so part of that is friendship, but part of that is like purpose. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. You know, sometimes our purpose has been raising those kids, getting them out of the house. Like I said, 20, you know, two decades of your life focused that way. And in the process, we sometimes have to change our purpose. That doesn't mean that we're not the parents of our kids. It just means that, you know, what, what were we called to do? What, what, is there something else we can do? My wife went back to work. She had spent uh, much of the time. She's a, a specialist in early childhood development, especially with kids who are on the spectrum with autism. So she had taken 11 years off and had focused on our kids. Everybody doesn't obviously need to do that or want to do that. But for Kathy, she went back and she said her best years of teaching were those years after our Heidi, uh, well, Heidi was a junior in high school when she went back. And so she kind of found, she found her, she, she refound her purpose. We found that our marriage was enhanced because we could spend more time together. We had trouble finding, you know, the date night. We had trouble sometimes, you know, going together to, oh, even pray together or things that we could have been doing, but in the empty nest, we found that. So our, even our marriage was enhanced and everybody, like you said, it can be complicated what a, what a family looks like. But in the case of a, a husband and a wife, and there sure, surely are a lot of single uh, empty nesters, but a husband and wife, they can, they can, like for us, our purpose of our marriage became even stronger. Um, we shared more. There was more intimacy. There was more time to do it. And, and, and you're right. We sat back just this year. We'd been on a family kind of a, a, a wedding slash destination wedding marriage thing. And I look back, our kids are now in their thirties. And I said, you know, this is great. These are our friends. Are these are our best friends? I looked over at Kathy as I'm looking at a bunch of 30 year olds. And she said, you know, I kind of think they are. Well, mm. that means that the transition has kind of happened. They're now, you know, responsible adults. And sometimes we look at them and just say, wow, you know, how are they making it? Cause there's some goofy things. And then other times we just go, these, these are incredible young adults. And for Kathy and I, we weren't raised in the church. So we we're what we call the transitional generation. The Bible says you inherit the sins of a previous generation to the third and fourth generation. And when we first got married, we were kind of going in a wacky, uh, we weren't recovering. And we decided to, to we're either going to recover or repeat. And we decided mm. to recover. And now we're looking back saying, wait, that was really well worth it because the trajectory of our family systems are changing with these 30-somethings, not with us, but with these 30-somethings. We're just watching them. Uh, when our daughter, Christy, last night came back and told us about Vacation Bible School with James, this six-year-old grandson, and how he goes, this is the best thing and the best time I've ever had. And she was laughing because she had just been in Europe saying, I spent a lot of money in Europe, and now he likes Vacation Bible School better. Well, how awesome is that? I never had the chance to be at Vacation Bible School. Um, so we're watching that change. 
that's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And that's part of our purpose. Part of our purpose is grandparenting. You mentioned it, but you know, I say, I call it a love affair between generations. And so I'm putting a lot more energy into the grandparenting thing when it comes to spiritual uh, issues than I did before. You know, James and I have read through the children's Bible three times. I didn't do mm. that with my kids. I wish I did. Oh, I love that. No, I think that's um, critical. It's important. Um, I we're certainly doing things with our grandkids that that we, <laughs> I guess we didn't think we had time to do. Um, you know, in the in the rush and hurry of um, of all that uh, that raising raising the initial generation just seems so overwhelming at the time. So maybe this is a good uh, reminder to everybody who's listening. Um, if you don't have kids in your home right now, there is somebody who has kids in their home who probably needs you to be doing things with and for them. And so even if you are not um, blessed to have grandchildren of your own, you could you could be a wonderful grandparent in the life and family um, of your neighbors, of uh, another family in your church. Um, Jim, when you make reference to what Kathy's doing and um, you know, coming alongside families who have children on the spectrum. That is a very real issue in, in our family. And we have a, a grandchild who um, is autistic and that family needs tons more support and energy and investment by us um, just to make it through because it's hard. It's really, really hard. And so when we talk about the expectations that we have um, for empty nest years, those change um, of necessity when the people in your family have emerging needs and um, that happens on both ends, both my aging parents and then uh, grandchildren who come along who need um, a different set of resources and time than maybe our own children did um, when we were raising them. So there you go. It's complex, but it is all so very good. I think resilience is one of the things that your book is about, although I'm not sure that word um, really <clears throat> it, you know, features in it. But that's really what it's about as well. Finding Joy in the Empty Nest. Jim Burns is the author. You guys should check out. There's tons of resources, webinars, seminars, books, all kinds of resources for you at homeward.com. Homeward, W-O-R-D dot com. Homeward.com. Jim, as always, thank you so much for what you do every day at Homeward and um, for your time today sharing with us. Oh, Carmen, my pleasure. Thank you so much for what you do. Really appreciate it. Well, it's, that's mutual. Hey, we are giving away books today. If you want to enter the drawing, text the word book to 877-933-2484. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBurge, and this is Faith Radio. What are you sowing today and what are you reaping? You and I are set uh, by God as stewards in this beautiful creation that he has made. And he has given us responsibility to cultivate the culture in the days in which we live. And so what are you sowing today and what are you reaping? If you look around the culture and you see bad fruit, <laughs> Fruit that you know is not uh, not good and not godly. What might it look like to till the soil right where you are um, and sow peace, to plant the word of God, to nurture it? 
We've talked about the erosion of the the values of the culture. We've talked about erosion of the trust that we have um, as a people together in the culture. And so then let's also talk about what it looks like and what is required for the next generation to have a different harvest than the one we're looking at now. For the next generation to have a different harvest, a harvest of righteousness, you and I are going to have to till the soil and plant seeds of the word of God, sow peace in the world today. We are ambassadors of the king and the kingdom in the midst of the kingdoms of this world. So so we are called, so let us go be and do. Let's give glory to God in every moment that he gives us today, relying on him for every good and perfect gift. Thanks so much for this time together. Check out resources that we're offering right now at MyFaithRadio.com. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.